If you take your Bibles, I want you to find the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, and we're going to be looking at chapters 37 through 50, but you can relax. We're not going to look all, at all of it at once. We're not going to read it all, but there's a story in those chapters that we're going to tell today. The title of this morning's message is Back to School Survival Skills. Back to School Survival Skills. It was the first day of school, principal was walking down the hallway, heard an awful commotion going on in one of the classrooms. He barges into the classroom. He sees the, a tall young man, tallest one in the class. He seems to be making most of the noise. He goes and grabs this young man, puts him in the hallway, says, you, you just stay right here. And he goes back in the classroom, and he, he, he makes them all be quiet, and he lectures them for about 30 minutes on what their behavior should be like. When, they get, when he gets done, he says, are there any questions now? One little girl raised her hand and said, yes, can we have our teacher back? You know, that first day for that young man was difficult. And, uh, and it may be for some others tomorrow. But you know, there is a very real sense in which all of us are back in school. You know, school doesn't end just with graduation. School is something that you and I are part of throughout our whole life. God has things that He's teaching us, and He's designed life to be that way because He wants to mold you and me into the likeness of Jesus Christ in His character. And so the things that happen to you and me are not accidents, but they are lessons, and it's part of the school that God has you and I in. And you know, one of the most useful schools that God has, where you and I learn the most in life, is the school called tough times. And when you and I are in tough times, we learn more then than perhaps at any other time in our life. And so this morning, we're looking at someone who, who had that experience of a big school of tough times in life, and, and it's this young man named Joseph. It was an amazing life. He goes from being a slave to being the second in command in a mighty nation. He literally goes from the pit to the palace. And what we learn from Joseph, right, right away is that it's not your circumstances that determine the quality of your life. It is the way that you respond to those circumstances. And that's a choice. And when you consistently respond the right way, it forms character inside of you. And it's your character that determines how you go through circumstances, not the circumstances themselves. Well, I brought with me this morning a a backpack. There'll be a lot of kids uh, sporting new backpacks tomorrow, and uh, I brought one with me. And it represents some of the life lessons that God is teaching you and teaching me. And He has many lessons as He forms Christ in us, but there, there are certain life lessons. And I'm going to be showing you some of those in just a moment out of this backpack that represents you and I going to school. What are the life lessons that God wants me to master? First, if I know the Lord, I have a life that matters. If I know the Lord, I have a life that matters. You know, there are some things that happen to you and me, some aspects of our life that we have no control over and that we can't change. You can't change who your parents are. You can't change where you were born or when you were born. You can't change some of the bad things that may have happened to you when you were young. Well, they're even happening to you now. You may have no control over those things. You can't change your gender, although people try. 
You know, but at the end of the day, it's still an X and an X, and it's still an X and a Y chromosome. You can't change that. And how you respond to those things about your life that you can't change can severely and negatively affect you unless, like Joseph, you recognize that something different is taking place, and there's a different way to respond. Joseph could have responded negatively to what happened to him. What were some of the negative things that happened to him? Well, notice, first of all, that he was forsaken by his family. Forsaken by his family. His father, he was the favorite to his dad. But he had a whole bunch of brothers uh, who were not the favorites. Joseph was the second youngest in the family. And his brothers did not like the attention the father gave him. In chapter 37, verse 4, it says they hated him. And could not speak peaceably to him. means they had nothing nice to say to their brother. And one day they got him alone. And in verse 24 it says, Then they took him and cast him into a pit. Now that's brotherly love. You know, you may have had a brother that did that. I hope they didn't mean it. And, uh, but it gets worse. In verse 28 it says, Then Midianite traitors passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Now, that'll scar you for life. I don't know. You may have thought about selling your brother <laughs> for 20 shekels. And uh, if you have, don't look at him right now. But, um, but this really happened to him. Can you imagine that? Well, he was not only forsaken by his family, but he was also framed by enemies. When he was taken to Egypt, he was taken into Potiphar's house as a slave. Those of you who have read this story, you know what happened there. He was successful. He was so successful that Potiphar put him in charge of everything in the house except what he was going to eat. And that was it. I mean, he had charge of everything else. And everything was going really well until the boss's wife tried to seduce Joseph. In chapter 39, verse 7, we read, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused. In verse 10 it says, So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day. You know, she didn't try just once, did she? Day by day by day. That he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. And then in verse 16, it says, His master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. He left his coat, but he kept his character, didn't he? That was Joseph. And Joseph did the right thing. She framed him to Potiphar. She said, this Hebrew slave that you brought, he tried to rape me. And Potiphar didn't check with anyone to see if it was true. He took his wife's word, and so he was framed, and he goes to prison for a crime he didn't commit. So Joseph was forsaken by his family, framed by enemies, but then he was also forgotten by friends. He was forgotten by friends. When he's in prison, he, um, he has the same experience in prison that he had in Potiphar's house. He is elevated. He's promoted. And, and in that process, he meets two men who used to serve on Pharaoh's staff. One is a baker. The other is a cupbearer or a, a butler. And uh, those very important positions, but they had done something wrong, and they were in prison. Both men had a dream. They didn't understand it. Joseph interpreted the dream. The baker was not going to survive prison. He was going to be executed. 
the cupbearer or the butler was going to have his position restored to him. All salary and past benefits, everything's going to be restored to him. And it was a miracle from God. And as the butler, as all this came to pass and the baker was executed and the butler was sent back, um, Joseph speaks to the man as he's leaving the prison in chapter 40, verse 14. And this is what Joseph says. Think about this. But remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this dump, I mean house. Have any of you felt that way about your circumstances? He could have said that. In verse 23, tragic statement, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Unbelievable. After all that Joseph had done for him, that he would forget. And you know, that can happen to you. This may have happened to you. Jealous people will try to hurt you. Immoral people will try to tempt you. Ambitious people will try to use you. Joseph had people like that in his life and worse. But Joseph had a relationship with God. That's what you need to know. But Joseph had a relationship with God. And in our backpack of life lessons, uh, this is symbolized today by a candle. Sometimes when I've had meetings and conferences with people, I would light a candle. And they'd say, why do you light the candle? Because it symbolizes the presence of God. And you see, Joseph recognized the presence of God in his life. And he was looking to God. He was crying out to God. He depended on God. And as a consequence of that, we read in chapter 39, verse 2, in Potiphar's house, it says, The Lord was with Joseph. The same thing happened in prison in verse 21. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph. And that fact is the single greatest determiner of the trajectory of your life. Because if you have the Lord with you, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter what else is taking place. Your life is going to mean something, and your life is going to matter if the Lord is with you. In John chapter 14, verse 6, the Lord Jesus, years later, explained how you and I have a relationship with God the Father. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way. I'm the way to God. There is no other way. I'm the truth. I'm the one that's going to tell you the truth about you. I'm the one that's going to tell you the truth about who God is. I'm the life. God has a life for you that you've never imagined of, that you've never dreamed of. And I possess that life, Jesus is saying, and I can give it to you. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. But no man comes to the Father but by or through me. Do you know Jesus Christ? If you know him, you know the Father. If you know Jesus Christ and he's in your life, then the Lord is with you. And it doesn't matter what else can happen to you. As long as that candle's lit in your heart, as long as he lives in you and he dwells with you, your life will count. There's a second life lesson that God's going to teach you. The second one is this. God will work through me if I work hard at what he has for me to do where I am. You see, sometimes I think I could do so much more for God if I wasn't where I was. <laughs> you know, that I could do more for him if I was over there at that job or in that 
that neighborhood or that place or I had that property or I had those friends or I had those, those things in my life. Happiness is always somewhere else. And yet, what Joseph learned is that God will work through you if you'll work hard right where you're at. And Joseph did that. He was dependable. He was reliable. When you look at the story of Potiphar and you look at the story of being in the prison, the head jailer, both of those men promoted Joseph. They saw something in him that was different. And they, they didn't worry about anything. In fact, in the text it says that Potiphar had no worries, that uh, the, the jailer had no worries if Joseph was in charge. Can your parents, your boss, your teacher, the people you work with, can they say that about you? That when you're on the job, there are no worries. When he or she is working, I don't have to fret at all about what's taking place because they're on the job. They take care of business. They work hard. And when you do that, you honor the Lord. When you work hard at whatever you are as a student, a teacher, uh, in a workplace, at home, whatever your assignment is in life, right where you are, when you honor the Lord, he's going to do something. Look at what he does here for Joseph. God gave Joseph two things. First, he gave him a supernatural effectiveness. It didn't come from his human ability. It came from God. In uh, chapter 39, verse 3, with Potiphar, it says, And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So who was, who was prospering? Joseph. God was. Why? Because Joseph honored God. Here's another example in prison in verse 23. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. He's always a home run. Put Joseph in there. It's going to get better. It's going to get fixed. Why? Because God gave him a supernatural effectiveness. But there's something else God gives him. He gives him a supernatural influence, a supernatural influence. Again, with Potiphar, look at what happens here in chapter 39, verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So at some point, there's this, Joseph comes in as an ordinary house slave. He's brand new. But somewhere along the line, Potiphar looks at him and he has favor towards him. Now, where did that come from? Well, we see the same thing happen with the jailer, but we get more information. In verse 21, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor. Who gave the favor? God did. He gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So if you're having trouble with your boss, if you're having trouble with the teacher, if you're having trouble with the ministry, whatever the case may be, can I give you a piece of advice? Don't be a slacker. Don't gripe and complain like everybody else. You need to be in a totally different place. In fact, to illustrate this, I brought with me a hammer. Now, this is not what you do to them, okay? It's not what you do to them. But you keep swinging the hammer. Doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. Doesn't matter if they're good boss, bad boss, doesn't matter. You're going to honor the Lord, so you keep swinging the hammer. And you know what God's going to do? You're just going to stand out so much from the crowd. You're going to stand out so much from everybody else because you are swinging the hammer when everybody else is quitting. And you know what God's going to do? He's going to give you favor. 
with the people that you work with. If not, he's going to put you somewhere else where someone will recognize what they got. He'll do it. That's what God does. And, um, you know, when I used to drive to Little Rock every day to the Arkansas Baptist State Convention downtown Little Rock from Conway, it's a long drive. And, uh, and so I would pray. And one of the things I'd always pray about, God, would you grant me favor with my boss? Would you grant me favor with the people that I serve? Would you grant me favor with the people I'm going to meet with today? And, and, you know, God does that. He gives us a supernatural effectiveness. He gives us also a supernatural influence. So keep swinging your hammer, and God's going to give you something special in that circumstance. There's a survival skill number three that's in that backpack that God wants you to have. And here it is. Doing the right thing will always keep me on the path God has for me. Now think about that. Joseph was a man of absolute moral purity. He was so determined to do the right thing that when people got ready to attack him, they had to make up stuff in order to get at him. They had to make up stuff. And my prayer for you is that every person here, you'd be that kind of a person. That you'd always seek to do the right thing in such a way that people, if they're going to get you, they're going to have to make up stuff. That's what happened to Joseph, isn't it? And, um, and so, you know, as Potiphar's wife tried to frame him, she made up stuff about him, uh, that he had attacked her. Instead, he, she was the one that had been bugging him, you know, day in and day out. You know why Joseph stayed pure? Listen to what he says in chapter 39, verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, and here he goes, Look! My master does not know what is with me in the house. You know what, he, what he's saying? He says he doesn't care. He, he's completely at ease with me in the house. And, um, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. So why didn't he sleep with her? Why didn't he cave in? How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. You see, he had this fundamental loyalty to his boss, and it was driven by his devotion and his love for God. And to, and to do this thing was going to be hurtful. Now, he could have caved. You know he could have caved. Oh, what am I getting out of this deal, God? I've just had one catastrophe, one crisis, one problem after another in my life. He didn't have to take this track, but he did. And he chose to do the right thing, no matter what. Whenever you choose to lay down your integrity, you're going to hurt somebody else. It's not going to just hurt you. You're going to hurt somebody else. So look where Joseph's integrity got him. Well, it got him accused, falsely accused. It got him in, in jail. Uh, it didn't look like anything was going well. But you know, in the end, choosing to do the right thing always pays off. One way or another, doing the right thing always pays off. And what did it do for him? Well, yeah, he, he wound up in prison. But was that not the pathway that took him to the second highest position in Egypt? God used everything that was happening to him to bring him to a place. And so by making that choice to do the right thing, he was staying on the path. Even though he didn't know where this was going, he was staying exactly on the path that God had for him. So when your boss asks you to do something you know is immoral, you know is wrong, do the right thing. Do the right thing. Say, no, I can't do that. I'm sorry. 
Uh, when you're tempted to do the wrong, the, the wrong thing, you know, nobody's going to see this. I can fudge a little bit on this. I can do this. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to see it. Do you want to stay on the path that God has for you or not? You see, God's trying to teach you something. God's trying to build the character of Christ in you. And every time you back away, every time you drop your integrity, you're just going to have to go back again. You're going to have to learn it again somewhere else. I'll tell you what, some things I don't want to go through twice. And so by choosing to do the right thing, we stay on the path. And I've got, um, I've got a way of illustrating that with me today. Here it is. It's a bottle 409. Keep it clean, people. Keep it clean. <laughs> Keep it clean. Whatever you do, do the right thing. Keep it pure. Keep it clean. And you'll have God's blessing. The fourth survival skill that we see from Joseph is this. When I give God the glory, he can trust me with a growing story of his presence and power. The story of Joseph is truly an amazing story. I mean, at every turn, it just gets to be more interesting. More amazing things are, t- are, are, are happening. He's the hated baby brother who escapes death from his brothers. He's the slave who becomes a trusted manager. He's the fa- You know, they ought to make a play out of this. Just a thought. He's the falsely accused prisoner who becomes a trusted assistant. He's the second in command in the most powerful nation on the planet. And you know what happens? You know what we find in our backpack of life lessons? We find a notebook because somebody wrote all this down. It was an amazing story. And every time something new happened, it got even more amazing than it was before that. We're talking about this guy and the amazing transitions that took place in his life. Now, God wants to do this with you. He wants to create a testimony, a story of his activity in your life that will bring him honor, that will bring him glory. How does he do that? Well, let's look how he did it with Joseph. Notice what Joseph did in prison, chapter 40, verse 8. And they said to him, we each have had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. That's the baker and the butler. We talked about them. So Joseph said to them, you had a dream? I'm your man. Just drop down 10 bucks and I can tell you what it means. Did he do that? No, of course he didn't do that. He said, do not interpretations belong to God? You see what he was doing at that moment? Who was he pointing to? God. Tell them to me, please. Now, who did, he gave credit to God. We see the same thing when he talks to Pharaoh. Listen to his conversation with Pharaoh in chapter 41, verse 15. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph's about to explain to him. He said, look, I can explain your dream to you. You're going to have seven years of of great yields in your crops. You're going to have seven years of famine. He said, you've got to prepare in those seven years of plenty because you've got seven really tough years that are coming. And, And Pharaoh listens to him. But listen to what he says. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not me. It is not me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So while people are trying to call attention to Joseph, he is constantly pointing people to God. It's not about me, he says. It's all about him. 
And the result is that God kept enlarging Joseph's story. Because if he can trust you with some really big things that he wants to do, if he can trust that you won't take the credit for it, that you won't take the glory for it, he's prepared to do more, bigger than anyone ever dreamed possible. Well, the final life lesson and survival skill that God wants you to learn is this. Number five, I can always trust that God is in control and that what he is doing is good. This is the one I would love to sit down across from Joseph one day, and I will, and talk to him about this one. You know, Joseph, all this started when Joseph had a dream that he, that he told his brothers of, of, this, of these sheaves that were gathered in the field, and, and his sheaf was standing there, and his brother's sheaves all bowed down to his. Well, that didn't make him very popular. In fact, after sharing that dream for 30 years, everything that happened to Joseph appeared to be downhill. It was all downhill. And God never explained to Joseph what was going on. You realize that. He didn't know how this story was going to end. Where did his dreams get him? Slavery. Where did his integrity get him? Prison. Where did his helping others get him? They forgot about him. But years later it became clear. He becomes the most influential man in Egypt. He's administering this, this grain storage program during seven years of plenty. He administers the distribution of it, and Egypt is well-fed. Other nations are coming, and they're seeking the resources that he was responsible for. And then one day, his family shows up. The Hebrews, his own family, his brothers, the ones that threw him in the pit, the ones that threw him into slavery, they show up. They don't recognize him, and they bow before him. And you know, he can't help but remember the dream. <laughs> They're bowing before him. Now, what would you have done after 30 years of the junk that they created in his life? What would you have done? Off with their heads! Maybe. But Joseph didn't do that. He trusted that God is in control. Listen to how he talks about it in chapter 45, verse 7. Listen. And God sent me before you. Wait a minute, Joseph. They threw you in a pit. They sold you in slavery. What do you mean God sent you? That's what he says. He's trusting God's sovereignty. He's trusting God's control over circumstances. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And then in chapter 50, verse 19, he says, But as for you, you meant evil against me. I mean, he's a realist. He knows what they were doing. But in the midst of what they were doing, God was doing something. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Same circumstances, but God was doing something good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. You know, many of you have been harmed by people. Maybe a parent hurt you, a spouse, a parent, a brother, a sister, a teacher, a boss, a former friend. I don't know, but they meant evil, and they did evil, and it and it hurt to you. But when you listen to Joseph, you learn something. That even when those things happen, if God is with you, remember, that's the most important thing. If the Lord is with you, your life is going to matter. Your life is going to count. So let them do what they're going to do. 
They meant evil, but God meant it for good. Some of you this morning need to be set free from thinking that God didn't love you when the worst things happened to you, that God wasn't in control when the worst things happened to you, that God was somehow a wall turned the other way, wasn't looking at you when the worst things happened to you. Because in the midst of those circumstances, as awful and as tragic as they were, Joseph says you can trust the sovereignty of God. That God is doing something even in the midst of an evil day that's going to turn out to be really good for those that love him and those that know him. For you, in the backpack, there's a road map. Now, the thing about this road map is that you don't really get to look at it. You know, sometimes we were talking about this on Sunday nights. We pray, God, we wanna, I want to know your will for my life, and we think God's going to hand me a road map. I'm going to say, oh, great, I can see everything that's coming. He doesn't do that, does he? He's much more like that GPS thing that talks to you. You know, turn here. In a half mile, turn, turn right here as you're trying to get to your destination. The difference is God will get you there. And sometimes your GPS won't get you there. But here's the thing. doesn't matter if you have the map. You need to believe that God has a map. You need to believe that God has a plan. You need to believe that God is in control. And that your life is going somewhere. And that it matters. And that he's going to accomplish something in and through your life as you learn these life lessons. Now we've looked at five lessons today. The very first one was the most important. If I know the Lord... I have a life that matters. Do you know him? You know, life is not going to make any sense to you until you do. It's just going to feel like total chaos, like there's nothing in charge. Everything's just out of control. Nothing's going to make sense to you. You're not going to experience supernatural effectiveness. You're not going to experience the favor that God gives. You're not going to experience any of those things without Jesus Christ in your life. And I'm not suggesting that you trust him because you get a bunch of stuff. Look at Joseph's life. What you get is a relationship with the God who made you and who holds the map and who can promise you and assure you that what he's doing in your life matters and that your life matters and he's going to do something with you that counts. So I've got to ask you this morning, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? The Bible says your greatest problem is sin, that sin separates you from God. Sin causes the suffering that you experience. It causes the suffering that you've caused other people. That sin is behind all of that. And that what you need to do is repent. And repentance is turning from your life where God's not in control and you're rejecting him and keeping him out of your life. Repentance is turning from that life where all you do is sin and make things worse and turn to God and say, I'm going to trust you, Lord. When you do that 180 and you put your trust in him, the Bible says he'll forgive you for your sins. Because he died for those sins on the cross. The Bible says he will send his Holy Spirit to come live in you. And he will change you from the inside out. And this school of tough times, this school of life that God has, will suddenly begin to make sense. As God begins to teach you and grow you and make you like Jesus. Do you need to trust him today? In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. We have a response time in our worship. And it's an opportunity for every person here to say, God, What is it that you're saying to me? What is it I need to learn? 
how are you growing me at this moment in my life? And for you, if you need to trust Christ, I just invite you to come. I'll be here at the front. There'll be other pastors standing here, and we would be absolutely delighted to share Scripture with you and answer your questions. Take all the time you need so that you can leave here this morning born again with a new life in Christ. And so we invite you to come. And then, brothers and sisters, maybe you're at a place and, um, and you're finding yourself wanting to sling that hammer at somebody. And you're not wanting to keep on keeping on with where God has you right now. You're not wanting to work very hard at the place where he has you. You're wanting to quit. You're wanting to give up. And you know right now that God's calling you to a whole different way to approach your needs, your problems. And, uh, and no matter what kind of problem you have, you're, you're realizing God has a plan. I need to be a part of that. I need to cooperate with what God is doing in my life. And so maybe you just need to bow your head and pray. Maybe there's someone in your life and you know they're struggling. You need to pray for them. And the altar's open for that kind of activity. We want to encourage you to come and to pray. In first hour, God worked in a mighty way. We, we saw people whose lives were changed forever. We saw people publicly profess their faith in Christ. We had two families that came and joined the church. I don't know how God's speaking to you at this moment, but I know he's speaking. How does he want you to respond to him? Pray with me. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word, the power it has to speak to us and to change us. And, Lord, it's like a hammer. I know you've used it like a hammer in my own life as you have broken down my mistaken ideas and mistaken thoughts about you. I thank you, Lord, that you are speaking to us now in these moments. I, I ask that just as we sang earlier in the service, that your Holy Spirit would rain down. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would rain down, that you would speak to every person here, and that we would find it in our hearts to say yes to what you're saying to each of us. Thank you for hearing our cry. We welcome you here, Holy Spirit. We ask you to guide us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.